Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is Exodus 20:15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 15. You shall not steal. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion his act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered did not have too little. Amen. Amen. Let me see if that works. There it is. Good morning again. Welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. I saw a statistic the other day. It, it floored me. It was, I found it in uh, New York Times. Uh, Nick Kristoff pointed out this. He said that there are 68,000 Americans who die every year from drug overdose. 88,000 who die from uh, alcohol abuse, 
and 47,000 from suicide every year. And he contrasts this with, with uh, this fact that Americans die from those three causes every two weeks. Uh, more, sorry, more Americans die from those three causes every two weeks than all the people total who died in the 18-year war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I had to let that sink in for a second. Every two weeks, the same amount of lives lost. That statistic took my breath away, and, I, and then for a moment, I felt convicted about how much I actively don't think about the millions of people who, whose families are suffering right now from this plight. I bring this up because here's the truth. If you want to change in your life at all, you have to be convicted first. And you can't be convicted unless you first identify with the problem. And to, do, and to be able to identify with the problem, you first have to spend time with it because you need conviction for change. And so this is why I worry about the command we're about to look at. We've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments, looking at each one, and we're now at the time when we're going to look at do not steal. And the problem with that command is most people in this room, I can say this without, with, with a lot of assurity, most of us do not feel convicted that this is a problem. That we don't feel like, we don't connect with this. We, we don't feel like this is our problem, our issues. Most of us, uh, you know, have images of people stealing jewelry or like the hamburglar or somebody like that, that's like tiptoeing around and trying to get things. And, in, and until we get conviction, we're never going to change. Let me ask you this question. Why did God tell people who were former slaves who probably didn't have many possessions coming up out of Egypt and to, and to tell them, do not steal? These are God's people. He's not talking to his enemies. He's not talking to the Philistines. He's talking to his own people. And the only answer I could come up with is the reason why God felt like he needed to say this is because he felt like this was a clear and present danger for his people to steal, to have a lack of generosity. And so for us to get a conviction here, what I want to do is not just spend one week. I want to do two weeks on this one command. And this particular week, I want to look at not what, what, what the against, but what is it asking us to do? What's it, what are we supposed to be for? Because the opposite of stealing would be to have a life of generosity. And, I, and again, I believe most of us uh, haven't been convicted about this. So let's look at this in four ways. First, how do we fail to be generous? Second, you know, why we fail to be generous. Third, how might Jesus enter into our lack of generosity? And then fourth, what does it look like to begin to be generous? So how do we fail to be generous? Why do we fail to be generous? What does Jesus have to say, or what is he, what, how does he enter that lack of generosity? And then maybe some practical applications of what it looks like to be generous. So first, how do we fail to be generous? Look at your passage, the 2 Corinthians 1, right? The, 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 the commandment itself, do not steal. Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthian church, he's trying to encourage them to be generous, now, this Corinthian church in the historical context was actually a fairly wealthy church. They had a lot of resources. Look at verse 7. It says that they excelled at faith, speech, knowledge, 
But then he goes on and says, see to it that you also excel at the grace of giving. And I think what Paul is being careful, though, is he quickly modifies. The minute he says you should excel at this, what's the next, next thing he does? In verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you. And why does he have to say that? He has to say that because if he's commanding you, then it's not generosity, is it? Right? You can't say you have to be generous because then that's not generosity. Rather, he uses an example from the Macedonian church. And he says, hey, look at them. Go up to verse 2. He says, look at them. Their joy is overflowing despite not having much. They gave beyond their ability. And so zoom out and look at Paul's argument. Giving can't be demanded, but giving has to be a response to joy. And joy is a response to grace. And grace is seeing how much you already have. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, when you're failing to give, you're failing to be generous. It's because at some level you don't get grace. Because at some level you don't understand, you you don't have the joy because you don't get grace. So I would like us to try to evaluate ourselves for a second. When was the last time that you asked yourself about your own generosity? And guys, we're not talking about money. We're talking about uh, time, talents, treasures. We're, t- it's, it's, we're talking about generosity as a whole. It's at least that finances, but it's, it's, t- it's talking about why don't we give our time, right, or our talents? How often do we serve others in our community, in our church? How often do we go above and beyond? And Paul is saying that whatever that is is exactly tied to how much joy you have which is a ramification of grace, which spills out in your attitude, emotions, motivations, time, talents, treasures. Now, if you're the more calculating type, what you might say is, okay, well, um, how do we evaluate this? How can I tell if I'm doing it? And if you go to the Old Testament, there's the tithe, right? And there's a, the tithe there is this 10% amount to give back. Now, a lot of folks will say, yeah, yeah, yeah but that's Old Testament. Where is it in the New Testament? Well, the command's not there in the New Testament, but Jesus does reference it in Luke chapter 11. He assumes it. He says, you tithe your, your, your dill and you tithe your, your mint. But, uh, you know, what else? Uh, and he's going after not the actual action. He thinks the action's okay. But Paul here is saying, I can't command it, but the, the 10% is, not, is what everybody gets hung up on. If you can't command joy, then that means there actually shouldn't be any cap on what's possible when it comes to generosity. This is why the 10% rule in the Old Testament is so interesting because for, for some people, if you gave only 10%, that's actually not you being generous because of how much you have. For other people, you know, 10% would be immensely uh, giving. And the point of, is, is less about the amount and more about the spirit behind it. The point is... is to push us, if everything is given to you, what's 10%? Right? And I think that's where we can sit and say, where's that conviction in my life? That the joy isn't there. It's not welling up. It's not spilling out. It's, uh, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? When he gets a second lease on life, what does he do? He is running through the streets of London. Why aren't we? Right? If we have a second lease on life as well, why aren't we doing the same thing? I think what happens is a lot of times we're just going, Mike, I'm just so tired right now. I can't, you know, it's that phrase, I can't even, I can't, I can't even just 
your brain, some of you are, your, your, your mind's already wandering right now. It's over here. Just tell me what I need to do. The problem with that is if that's your statement, you're probably given for the wrong reason. Because a generous heart doesn't think that way. I, I, this week I was asking myself, when, when have I felt generous? And what happens is in those moments when I'm feeling most generous, I'm thinking less about what I'm about to lose and more about what other people are going to gain. I'm thinking less about, uh, you know, what it means to me and more just sitting in the space of joy and thankfulness and grace, so filled with that, that whatever the amount is, again, not just money, like what, what, giving time, giving, you know, my, my, uh, my presence, giving, you know, a talent or a treasure, the actual amount itself is secondary. And this is why I think that the fact that the New Testament doesn't mention the tithe is proof, not because, like, well, then 10% doesn't matter. It's that, that there shouldn't be a cap on these things. When we have we last assessed our generosity? I, I, you, some of you are like, after the year we just had, why are you having this conversation with me? And again, think of the people who just came out of Egypt. Think of the, the generations that they just had. And God still felt like this was such a big deal. He needed to bring this up. What would it look like for us? Jesus doesn't care what you give. I'm, I'm positive. He doesn't care how you give. He cares why. Why? Is, is it the joy overflowing? Because the convicting thing for me, and hopefully it is for you too, is when we realize the amount we give, generosity is tied to the exact percentage of the joy of grace in our life at the moment. That is how we fail. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Is this connected to that? Now, secondly, why? Why do we fail? Well, Paul says in verse 3 here, go back to their text, he says, the Macedonians gave beyond their ability. And for those of you, by the way, people always ask me this, what does that mean? Does that mean they couldn't pay their taxes? Does that mean that they couldn't put food on their table? No, that's not what they're talking about. It means they gave beyond what the world thought that they should. So I'm just making up a, a, a case. Let's say you make $50,000 and you decided to give 50, uh, sorry, <laughs> decided to give 5,000. Or let's say you, you work 40, you know, hours in a week, and you decide to give four hours of your time to something. What the world would say is, hey, that 5,000, that 10%, don't give that away. You should save that. You should invest that. You should keep it for a rainy day. Why? Because that will lead you to be more secure. Why? Because if you give that away, you know what will happen? Is you'll make yourself more vulnerable. And I think that's actually the point. If you give stuff away, when you give, whatever you give away, you are opening yourself up 
to others. You are actually becoming more vulnerable to others. And by the way, the world, whether, you know, this is across the political spectrum, left or right, the world tells us, don't be vulnerable, right? Protect yourself. Don't let yourself be attacked. Instead, stand up to, cancel, shut down the other side, right? That there, and that, and that, in that kind of rubric, there is no generosity, there is no wealth, uh, warmth. There, why not? Because without vulnerability, you can't have generosity. By the way, Paul, again, Think, he, he's not saying don't pay your taxes. He's not saying don't provide for your family. What he is doing is he's challenging us on what we think we need to have life. And he's doing this because he knows why we fail to be generous. Because Paul was shaped by the scriptures. And you know what he would know? He would know what the very first sin was. Go back to Genesis, you know, 1, 2, and 3. And what you find there. The first temptation, what was it? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. What do they have? Everything that they need. Not everything they want, but they have everything they really need. And what does Satan say when he shows up? He says, hey, don't eat that fruit that you do, that, that over here. Eat the fruit over here. And Eve, of course, says, if I do that, we will surely die. And notice, Satan never says, nuh-uh. Because they actually, you know, humanity has died. We do die now, right? So the truth is, God, he wasn't challenging God's right or wrongness. What did he say? He said, are you sure? Did he really say that? That you won't die? No, God knows that if you eat of it, you will be like him. He is holding back things that you need. And if you take them, you'll have so much more. In other words, and this is so important that you get this. Satan never challenged God's power or God's right or wrongness. He challenged God's goodness. He challenged if he was going to be good to you. He's saying God's holding out. And that's why there's a part of our mind to this day that, that it's this little part that says, he's not giving me what I need. He's not giving me what I want. He's not giving me. He, uh, uh, the, the grounds for the first sin was to doubt God's goodness. And I would make the argument that the reason why our hearts lack generosity and why the world's heart lacks generosity is at some level we fail to be generous because at the end of the day we don't believe God will be generous to us. We don't believe he'll be good back to us. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, uh, let me give you some examples. One, think about it. Why are you not more generous with your money? And I, I just, I'll just put it to myself. Why am I not more generous with my money? It's because at some level I feel like if I give this money, I will be vulnerable and I won't have the lifestyle. I, I can't live at the lifestyle that I want to live in New York City. Well, why do I need that? Well, because I need that lifestyle. Well, why do I need that lifestyle? Because it's how I know who I am. Ergo, God's not good enough. Actually, you can, you can, there's two aspects of that. He's not good enough for me in that he's enough, but he's also not going to be good enough to me, for me. I'll put it a different way. Why aren't you more generous with your time? You know how many people, if you spent time with them, they need you to be in their life. Why are you not more generous with your time? Uh, with, with friends that are in need. With, with, with uh, your time to read the Bible and pray. Um, side note, if you just cut down some of that social media, you probably would have time <laughs> to read your Bible and pray more. But why aren't we? Why, why, why don't we spend as much time with our spouses and our sons and our daughters and our, 
and, and, the, and relationships and doing the things that need to be done. At the end of the day, the reason why I don't is because I feel like if, I, if I'm generous with my time, I won't have enough time for me. I need me time. Or I need more time at my work. Why? Because if I don't put the more time in my work, I won't get promoted. I won't, have what I, I won't get the success I'm looking for. Why do I need that? I need that because I won't, then I won't get what I think I need. Why do I need that? Because God's not enough. It, 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 you can, it all roads lead to that same original sin. It's the same thing for Adam and Eve. God has all the power. He's got the things I want. My life's hard. I don't have enough. I need this. Why doesn't he give it to me? Why doesn't he give me the job I need? Why doesn't he give me the relationship I need? Why doesn't he give me the status that I need? And if he doesn't, I'm not so sure that he loves me. Ergo, God's not enough. So, do you see this is why we fail? We fail to have joy because we don't see grace. We fail to see, we don't see grace because we don't think God is good. Kennedy Smart, old minister um, uh, from a town where I used to grow up. Uh, I remember a story that he said. I think it was about um, a British farmer. This British farmer uh, had a cow, and, and this cow gave birth to two calves. And he came to his minister and said, hey, something happened. I have two calves, not one. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell one calf and give the church the proceeds. And the minister was like, oh, that's so nice. A couple months later, the minister shows, uh, the, 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 this farmer shows up to the minister and says, oh, something terrible has happened. The Lord's calf died. And the minister was like, why was it the Lord's calf? How, how did you know it was, you know, that one, not, not yours? And that's the thing, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? It's always the Lord's calf. I really wanted to be generous. I really wanted to spend my time and my, and my talents and my money. I just, you know, I just can't even, the pandemic and just, I just don't know. And I, I can't do, I'm not, I gotta be reasonable. God wants me to be smart. What's going on there? At the end of the day, it's not just God's not good enough. The, the side of it is there's a fear that God got it wrong, that God won't get it right, that there's a fear that God at the end of the day won't be good to us. I think that is why, that is why we have a lack of generosity. All right, so third point. How does Jesus enter into our lack of generosity? Well, to put it very simply, if your and my greatest issue is we don't believe God is good, then where is the greatest moment in all of history where we might be able to see God's goodness? The Christian faith says it's actually in the person and act and death of Jesus. And I think Paul knew this, right? Paul's like, I'm not gonna guilt trip you. I'm not gonna command you. I'm just gonna look at, let's look at verse nine. I'm just gonna like plop this here. Paul says, Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you might become rich. And I think that's it. It's such a simple statement, and I know you just gloss over it. It goes in your head. doesn't go into your heart. But let's sit with it for a second. How was Jesus rich? Because he was born to a carpenter. Paul must have been talking about Jesus' existence before he was the son of a carpenter. So all the people who say, the Bible never says that Jesus was the son of God. Paul is saying, Jesus 
had the universe. He had every possession. Everything was his. And he emptied himself of those riches and possessions to come and live and die for you. And the truth is, if, if I knew that, if I really knew that, and I had that in the person of Jesus, I would trust him. And if I trusted him, the fear would go away, right? Because fear is the lack of trust. And we can trust the one who gave everything up for you. And then we have nothing to be afraid of. That means we wouldn't have to worry to um, have enough. We sang a song early in the service about God is our inheritance. We're, trying to, we're busy trying to make an inheritance so that we have enough. That's going to go away when you go away. What if we knew that there was an inheritance that nothing could touch, that he was enough, that why are we then working so every day? You're going to leave here and immediately go back into the world of, of New York to try to build up enough to have a treasure when he is the treasure that is enough. Have you ever done trust falls? Like where the, you, know, you put your arms like this and you kind of like lean back and you, and, and you go... Um, I think, I think sometimes back in the day, the corporate, corporations would do this to like build trust in teams or high school. And, you know, you, you, do, you go like this and you look at the person, you're like, you better not drop me. You know, you, you just, you know, you kind of eyeball them. You better not. And I did this with my kids recently and they just couldn't, they were like, you know, and I'm like, I'm your dad, you can do it. And they're like, no, no, no. What's happening in a trust fall is you're saying, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. That you better not drop me. How do we know Jesus won't, trust, won't, won't, won't drop us? Think of something precious. Have you ever held something super precious in your hands? And like something that was invaluable. You hold it like this. <laughs> when you walk, you kind of walk like this. Because you're so intent and focused on that object to make sure that you keep it up. Right? If you are precious to him, he's not going to let, not only is he not going to let you fall, he is going to hold you up like anyone holds anything precious, like this. He can't and he won't. He didn't 2,000 years ago give up everything for, for you only to see you today in the here and now lose everything. You're too precious to him. Jesus was willing to lose his life for you. God was willing to lose his son so that now you can give up your time and your talents and your treasures, right? That means, guess what this means? There will be enough income for you. I don't know how, I don't know where, but there will be enough. He always gives you enough to get by to the next day. You have enough community, you have enough time. You might not have as, as much if you hold it to yourself, but you have so much more in him. So we need, to tr we need to trust him because generosity is an act of joy in the heart, coming out. But it only happens if we see him. And are we seeing him? Will you spend every day trying to build and provide for yourself? Or will you see that he's already provided what you need? Where we can accept that grace. Where are you, folks, where are you not accepting God's grace right now in your life? Have you asked that? Where, where, are you, where are you not seeing his goodness? Where do you say, I don't have enough in that part of my life? And I worry, I won't have enough. But see him in that space. How can you not have enough if you have him? 
right? Ultimately, how can you not have enough? Because grace means Jesus gave himself for me, so now I can give myself because I know that he won't leave me, not ultimately. You know what that would look like in my life as I've been thinking about this this week? It would look like at some level a contentment, a peace, a joy. Maybe not every day, maybe not in every iteration. You're not walking around and just smiling all day. But there's, there's a presence and ability to handle things. So last point. For those of you who want more practical steps, what might this look like to begin to be generous? Let his grace move in you. But, you, hold on, before we even get there, what would it look like if, if Christians just became ridiculously generous again? in society. You know what the world would say? The world would say, I don't get them. You're kind of weird. You don't actually believe all that we believe, but you are a good for this society, and if you were gone, we would be worse off. See, that should be the, that should be the, like, propelling us. Are we welcoming to all? Do we care about all? COVID-19 has shut down so many churches, including this one in a lot of ways. We're having to rebuild out of this. As you just saw, tons of new people Joining, coming together. But what if we just, just a small thing, what if we turned to each other and just said hello? Made that extra step. If it started here, it could reverberate out in the world to charge forward with courage. You know, it, uh, one analogy that's helpful for me, a soldier and a commander, if a commander says, charge over that hill. If you're the soldier and going, well, I don't know what's over that hill. You know, I, I'm going to wait to have Courage. That's actually not courage. Courage is not knowing what's over that hill and going anyway because you trust that commander. That whatever's on the other side of that hill, I might get wounded, I might be giving up my time, my talents, my treasures, but you know what? I know that he'll be with me and I know that I'll be with him and that will be enough to go. So practical steps. First one, don't wait around until you feel enough courage. I'm promising you, if you say, well, I'll just, if I just get a little bit more, if I just get a little more time and a little more money and a little more, don't wait. You'll never have enough. And that, by the way, that's not courage. Courage is going when you're not sure, despite the vulnerability inherent in the action. And you can be vulnerable because he was vulnerable. So it, it's looking to Christ to take every promise and every thought captive by this truth and then going. I think the problem is many New Yorkers, many of us, we're planners, and planning is good, but generosity takes courage, which is making a move in action when you don't know. The past 20 years that I've been in this town, what have we had? We've had 9-11, we had the economic crash of 2008, we've had the pandemic, Asian hate, racism, higher taxes, uh, now we have inflation that's going on. The world says, save, hold on for that, for, for, uh, that rainy date. And it would take courage to give in the midst of this. And sure, you could have a better life if you, if you held on to it, a worldly better life, but you'll miss out on what you can have with him. Don't wait for courage, first thing. Second practical thing, where to give? Everywhere. I can't bind your conscience. I personally, I give to college ministries. I was a college pastor and became a, a Christian there. I, I give to missionaries, and I give to this church. Uh, last year we hit our budget, and that was great because during the pandemic that was, that was a big concern. 
This year, we're about 8% behind our giving right now, and probably during the summer, we're probably going to get even further behind. So maybe a practical step would be, if this is your church, to say, maybe I should and can give here. And if so, a great way to do that would be to set up reoccurring giving. I did that a couple years ago because I found myself not being intentional, not being consistent. And that's one way to do that is, is to give uh, online. That's a, that's, that's a practical step. Number three, ask yourself, what is your larger vision? Folks, I know, again, I know we're tired and we're, we're ready to eat. But ask before you go out, what's your mission and vision on life? If, it's, if we know the goal in the world shouldn't be just make enough money to have enough life so then I can live my life in this world, if that's not good enough, if that doesn't work, what's your vision and mission? Redeemer Lincoln Square's vision is to joyfully reflect God's love together in the city. I think it's a good vision. Is that your vision? If it's not, what is? It doesn't have to be, but I want you to be intentional about it because the lack of intentionality that where we hide to not be able to be generous. Right, the history of New York, if you look at, I've been reading some, some histories, the, the original founding of this town essentially was to make a buck. Right. And, that, and I think there's a lot of people who come to this town to still make a dollar. But no offense, I just don't think that's, a, that's, that's enough of a reason to be here. You need to have a larger amount, what to do with those dollars and the time and talent and treasures for others. So what's your vision? Last point. If you're having a hard time right now caring about this whole sermon, if your brain's been like fluttering over there, I think it means there's still work for you to do to have joy. Because Paul roots this in joy. And you can't get that joy unless you know about the future, unless you're assured of the redemption and restoration of all of creation, and that you're in line with that narrative. That would bring a peace that would propel you out. You don't have to give, Paul says. I, and I'm saying the same thing. You don't have to. But then make Jesus your treasure. Taste, sit, listen. Let those promises wash over you until you can say this, I know Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. Keep, at, keep t- telling yourself that until you actually believe it. I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. The proof is in the text. The proof is in history of what he's done. And when you treasure him, guess what will happen, folks? You're going to treasure other things differently. Hope in him, treasure in him. If you call yourself a Christian today, and yet you look at your life, and you, and you, don't, you don't have a generous life, I would argue you might not really know God. You might not really know him. You might think you know him in your head, but you haven't experienced that love in your life through his promises through Paul's words here in verse 9. Again, go back to it. It was all for your sake. Do so until you don't think you are his treasure. Do so until you know he's your treasure. Joy will then give out of you. It will come, it will flow out of you. Seek him first and joy and generosity follows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this is a good word. Our, we, we lose our focus, Father, because it's hard to, um, <laughs> with the concerns and cares of this world, to focus on you. Help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Help us to take these simple truths that may, some of us, we've heard over and over and over again in our life, and I pray that you would make them new 
Some of us in this room, we've, we really haven't heard it and we haven't let ourselves believe it. I pray that maybe for the first time we do. Let it break into, crack into our, the vision we have for ourselves. And if we did, Father, it would change everything. Help us understand that a generous heart is a heart of joy, and a heart of joy is a heart reflecting on you and your grace. Turn our hearts and minds towards you and all that we do, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.